You're listening to the Animations Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 162, The Polar Express. It's a water baby! Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robs, and welcome everybody to this fabulous podcast. Today I am co-hosted by the amazing Morgan Stradling and Pablo Ruiz. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi, Pablo. How are you? Great. How are you? I am very well. I'm happy to hear you. Yay! If you've never listened to the Animation Addicts podcast before and you're just going through thinking, hey, I wanted a really cool holiday podcast to listen to, well, here's what this show is about. Basically, we're just a couple of friends who get together on a bi-weekly basis and talk about our favorite animated movies. We go through all of the details, all the nitty-gritty, and we just kind of nerd out about them. Um, sometimes it's movies that are away from the past. Sometimes they're kind of current. Sometimes, you know, they're movies that we love, and sometimes not so much. So just so the audience knows, uh, generally the main hosts are Morgan and I, but every once in a while we have awesome guest hosts to come on. And today we have Pablo Ruiz, who is, this is not his first rodeo, though it has been a long time since we've heard from him. Yeah, more than a year. Ugh. The last episode you were on was when we did Moana, correct? Yes. Yes. Correct. The man, let the man tears flow. <laughs> yes. That's the one. Oh, that was a good episode. That was super fun. Oh, I've missed you, Pablo. Yeah. I've done what I did The Incredibles up at yes. Moana. I think this is my fourth one. That's exciting. And we've yes. been doing this for, we're going on six years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's crazy, yeah. I've been listening for five years. Oh, just warms my heart. <laughs> How? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Kind of reintroduce yourself for anybody who may, this may be the very first time they're ever meeting the great Pablo Ruiz. <laughs> uh, so, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm from Colombia. Um, I live in Vancouver, Canada, and I am studying film here because uh, I would like to be a filmmaker. Uh, if I could choose, I'd be a writer, um, and I would love to write animated movies. Uh, I actually decided to become a filmmaker after watching Toy Story 3, which is why I have a, such a strong connection to animation. That movie to me was just perfection it was just so good and I was about to graduate high school when I saw it so it was like it reflected what I was going through and when I came out I remember being I cried so much and I remember thinking like I hope to one day make something that affects affects someone in the world as much as this affected me wow that really so was that, a good movie the goal yeah that's still my favorite animated movie ever. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it is very high up there. Definitely on the short list. Yeah. It is so good. And I love Coco too. So Leon Coco Chris was so too. great. Also, Pablo is our resident Pixar writer on the website. Yes. I complain a lot about Pixar lately. People are not that happy about that, but what can I do? <laughs> It's just, it's, you gotta, you gotta be, speak the truth, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
I did love Coco, though. It's one of my favorite Pixar movies. Also, there is no... I mean, the thing is, there's no bigger troll than Pablo, too, so... <laughs> yes, that is also true. <laughs> Although, apparently, every joke I come up with eventually comes true, so... It's true! <laughs> I Joke's really on hope you. Disney, yeah, I really hope Disney doesn't buy Fox, because... First of all, it's scary because Disney <laughs> has maybe too much power. And second, it would ruin my Anastasia as a Disney princess joke, which infuriates so many people and I enjoy it so much. <laughs> oh, that that joke will be listed in the show notes today if you go to episode 162 <laughs> of the Animation Addicts podcast. <laughs> uh... Oh, it's my favorite thing ever. Oh, yeah, it's it's so great. And people always just pick up on it and start complaining and correcting me. And yeah. I just write for an animation site. What do I know? <laughs> exactly. So today we are recording our Christmas holiday special. Yay. Yay. Because we all love a good holiday special. True. And we're talking about the Polar Express. Well, you're coming. Never take the rest. You can ride for free. So one very popular part of this podcast, well, it's not obviously that popular because we don't do it every time, but... <laughs> One thing that we love to do is called the nerdy couch discussion. Basically, we just take a random, semi-random that kind of pertains to the day's topic, but also more of a tangent side. But it's basically just us sitting around on a couch at like two in the morning, just talking random Disney slash random nerdy stuff. And so today I had a question for you guys. Today we're doing our fantastic holiday special and I'm just wondering, like, why is it that Christmas movies get so much love? I mean, it's not like Easter gets that much love or Kwanzaa or something like that. But Christmas, like, is well, everywhere in film. Right, because Christmas is super magical and happy and it's really created quite a brand for itself. You know, there's so many iconic things about Christmas and it is the most wonderful time of the year, to quote the song, at least from my perspective. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And as a result, there's just like, there's a certain brand of happiness that you find around Christmas time. And I think people love it. And so obviously you want to capture that in movie form. For example, I just watched a movie on Netflix last night, which was just a total, hey, it's Christmas. Let's put out a movie. It was called A Christmas Prince. And it's about this girl who goes to this make-believe kingdom as a reporter and tries to get the scoop and, you know, ends up winning the prince at the end of the day. Spoiler, I'm sure you would not have guessed that. But again, this movie did not have to, like, now that I'm thinking about it, there was really nothing Christmassy other than it was set around December. Right. This movie could have been a totally normal movie. They just, yeah. they just labeled Christmas on it and threw a couple Christmas decorations in the background, but it wasn't necessarily a huge focal point. But I think because Christmas is just such a happy time, people want to enjoy it. They want to watch movies about it. Yeah, it's also a holiday that like is about family too which I think is important because that means like even a movie like Die Hard, which 
doesn't really have to do anything with Christmas is set during Christmas because it's all about family. It's all about uh, John uh, Bruce Willis uh, reconnecting with his wife. So it, they're just like, oh, that's family. Let's put it like like set it set it during Christmas. That's so funny. <laughs> And it's also funny because I, I read a bunch of tweets in the uh, when Coco hadn't come out and they were like, oh, another Dia de los Muertos movie? Like, we had Book of Life. Why do we need another one? And all the responses were just like, we get 1,600 Christmas movies every year. So <laughs> what's the difference? Like, it's just a holiday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, Christmas true. gets a lot of love. I'm trying to think about different Thanksgiving films. There are films that are fake thank- giving you know set around that time period but the only one i can think of in recent memories is free birds which really did not take off in the way that they were hopefully expecting where every year we're going to sit around and watch free birds guys for thanksgiving no. but, with, <laughs> yeah. but with christmas there are christmas classics and staples that absolutely i'm going to be watching between the period of thanksgiving and christmas home alone home one alone. and two being one of them <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. on average how yeah, many christmas movies do you think you watch every year I know I watch, every year I watch at least Home Alone and The Muppets Christmas Carol. Those are like my traditions. Uh, Other than that, I'm not that much, like I don't watch random Christmas movies really. Uh, So I would say around two, maybe three if there's a new one. Right. I don't have like the free form 25 days of Christmas DVR ready to go or I'm watching a new one every night. But Home Alone one and of course Home Alone 2, which I believe Home Alone 2 is better than the I, original. But that's so. just me. Oh. Uh, of course, then you're going to watch Charlie Brown Christmas at some point. And then I do like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I don't necessarily love Frosty the Snowman, even though I did grow up watching it. But looking back, that's not not a go to quite yeah. so much anymore. But Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I think, is the best out of all of those stop-motion holiday films. And The Santa Claus, if I can find it or it's around, that one's always good. I know there's The Grinch. I'm not a big either either versions of The Grinch, not my go-to. Uh, so, I don't know, four, maybe five, just depends. I watch Elf every year. That's one of my staples. Mm. A Year Without a Santa Claus is one that I like to watch every year, but I don't always get to it. Um, that's my favorite of the stop-motion genres. Um, let's see. So those two specifically, last year, I got so into, like, all of the Hallmark Netflix originals, like, all of those movies, and I basically watched everything on Netflix. And I was, like, one every single night. I was, like, on a roll. And here's one thing that I have, like, I realize as I'm watching, like, as you, I watched that movie too last night, The Christmas Prince. <laughs> and like, as I'm watching this, I'm realizing like, why do I have like low standards for Christmas movies? Like normal movies, I feel like I don't want to waste my time, but just because it's around the Christmas time, I will watch these like made for TV movies that are just super sappy that you can totally tell what's going to happen. And yet I'm still here watching each one of them. Why do I do that? Yeah. It's it's weird. I I think it's, it's a weird holiday because you just have to be in the mood for it. Like there's no other holiday. I think has like its own genre of music or anything, but like 
with all the Christmas lights and you start listening to Christmas carols and you're just in the mood to see like sappy magical movies <laughs> that fun fun fact most of those hallmark christmas movies are shot in vancouver in like the middle of july <laughs> um, nice. fake snow is apparently a very profitable business in the middle of july in vancouver that is hilarious yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um i can name you three holiday movies on netflix that are really in essence, an elaborate 90-minute build-up to a commercial for K-Jewelers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh, three specific ones where it's, you know, the whole whatever storyline and then the very tail end, it's like they focus in on, there's always a, will you marry me? And then there's a, a ring at the end and they open up the box and it's the inside of the box says literally like, some type of jewelry company. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's like a slow, it stays on the ring for at least three seconds, goes back to the person, and then goes back to the ring. Show off how beautiful this ring is. And I'm just like, I've, I've been duped. I've been totally duped. And yet I still watch the whole thing. I don't learn. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, holiday movies are a classic standard and whether we like it or not they just are going to be here to stay and every I feel like every year no matter what there are people who really enjoy them I would count myself as one of them and for unknown reasons but anyway yeah well I hope you have reasons for liking it but they're just they're just capture that Christmas spirit or they try to I think it's really funny that the Hallmark Channel they have kind of their version of their movie holiday movie marathon and they specifically record like I think Paul was saying they specifically record a whole bunch of these and debut them because they know people are just going to go watch them people are going to tune in because it's Christmas and it's Hallmark and it's holiday film it's new let's see if this is a new classic there's movies like this that come out all the time uh, uh, older more live action ones that we haven't really even mentioned but um Oh, what are some things I'm thinking? Christmas with the Cranks. Oh yeah, um, Dad. What Daddy's Home too? I think a that's Christmas kind of story. holiday related. A Christmas. Oh, Christmas Story. That's one I always watch. Yeah. But there's a lot of more um, ones that are more adult, or not necessarily adult in that right. way, but live action where uh, they definitely we we didn't even include those. Now regarding animated, you know, we've talked about the various animated ones, but yeah, closing this up, I I like them all. Well, I like to watch them. I don't like to watch them all, but there are definitely ones that I'm going to be watching all the time, whether it's Christmas or not. Yes. It also probably has something to do with the weather. Like, you're more inclined to just stay in and rewatch movies or watch, like, anything related to Christmas when it's cold outside and you can be all curled up in a blanket. So True. All right, let us know your thoughts in the comments on the Animation Addicts podcast. You can go to rotoscopers.com slash 162 and let us know because these are fun things. Tell us what your, your favorite holiday find this year maybe was. That'd be fun. All right, jumping into our main discussion, we are going to be talking about a Christmas film, which is animated, so good thing, because that's what our show is all about. It is The Polar Express, 
which came out in 2004. So I'm going to give you some background info before we start talking about it. This, of course, is accumulated from Box Office Mojo, IMDb, Wikipedia, and the bonus materials where available. Now, the directors were Robert Zemeckis. Release date was November 10, 2004. Budget was $165 million, which at the time was the highest budget ever for an animated film. So definitely blew that out of the water. And it was $309 million worldwide. So it did very well. I don't know if any of you know this, but I'm a huge box office nerd. And I did some math and some Googling. I have a list of the most expensive animated movies. The Polar Express is in the top five. It's no longer the, the most expensive one ever. That goes to Tangled, which has a, a budget of $294 million when adjusted Ooh. for inflation. That's crazy. The second one is Toy Story 3, which I mentioned is one of my favorites, which has $200 million. Then, Express, then Monsters University. So Pixar has three of the top five. Yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't find a budget for Coco. Maybe that's, that's also there. Who knows? I wouldn't surprise me. Pixar and Disney both have the the capacity to spend that much money. Um so yeah, they they definitely don't skimp, which is great yeah, for the final product. Yeah, I'm sure the incredible two full budgets that are up there. Oh yeah. I don't Even it. if just for like Bradbird's yeah. salary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or in the case of Toy Story, Tom Hanks right. can't be cheap. Speaking or even this Tom movie. Hanks, let's go back. <laughs> yeah. So Tom Hanks was the one of the major you know, he lent his voice to basically everyone. <laughs> Which was very distracting to me. Yeah. I just I couldn't get into the movie for various reasons, but one of them was that I was like, Oh, this is just Tom Hanks doing another voice. This is just weird. I I remember not liking it. Because I felt like they were all way too serious, like too similar. And I know he tried to do lots of different, you know, variations on his voice. But even like when you got to Santa and whatever, and it's just like you add lots of reverb on that to make it sound big and and puffy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there were times where I didn't necessarily notice it. I was aware that he did majority of the voices in here, but at the same time he would be doing a character and then Tom Hanks would come out and be like, Oh yeah, it's you. So I'm not quite sure he was totally believable in some of his accents and playing these other folks. Yeah. So let's talk about the animation, because that's one of the biggest things that people talk about with these films. And I feel 2004 was a very interesting time period because animation had definitely and computer animation had definitely improved and gotten better. You know, we start with Toy Story in 95 and then we start branching off into using, you know, I mean, CGI had been used way back as Jurassic Park and even before that. But then through the 90s, people getting more and more familiar with it, even just through the various three Lord of the Rings films, you see a huge difference in the animation quality, especially from Gollum from the first film, Colin, you know, and his motion capture in the final film. Um, We have the amazing... Final Fantasy film, which was a stop, I keep wanting to say stop motion, but motion capture film that definitely was criticized for being 
in the uncanny valley. And this one was one of those as well. I think 2004, it was, oh, wow, animation has progressed so far. We can do all these amazing things. But even then, we still weren't quite there yet. When I look at the animation, I feel like I'm watching kind of a modern day video game where video game animation which is very interesting, has kind of reached the point where where feature-length animation was at 2004. Uh, it's just, it's realistic, but not quite there. I did not find this totally distracting, though, as as I'd heard reports where I was creeped out, where I, in reading some of the reviews from other reviewers and critics, some people just completely blasted the film because they thought it was so distracting. So what were your guys' thoughts? I, I knew about the controversy, and I was very interested to see what I would think. Uh, I didn't find it disturbing or anything. Uh, I know my sister's husband, for example, couldn't watch The Adventures of Tintin because he was just too creeped out. <laughs> uh, I don't have that problem. I did have a problem with the character's eyes. Like, they were just so dead all the time. Yeah. Um, I couldn't connect with anyone because every time they got a close-up or something, the, the eyes were just dead and unmoving, and it was so creepy. The eyes so I'm not and the, biggest the jaw. Fan. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan. I just think that normal animation works so much better. So that year gave us The Incredibles, which is like an all-human cast, and it works so well, whereas this, obviously you shouldn't just stop experimenting and this was the first big feature with that featured this uh technology but not a fan i have to say <laughs> yeah you know animation at least in the traditional sense whether it's cgi or, or traditional is where it's the illusion of life and so we're trying to recreate life but not necessarily pixel by pixel or making an exact replica but we're showing movement and life in our own interpretation. And I think with traditionally animated films and CGI animated films, we're, there's a lot of caricature and squash and stretch and just different things that we're able to infuse into the animation, which makes it, sets it apart from trying to completely copy and imitate life, which I feel what motion capture is. It's the complete imitation of life. And as a result, just because it is not an organic being, it is a computer, it is a model, it's just pixels on a screen. For the most part, there's always going to be this gap and they are closing the gap more and more. But during this period of time, definitely not uh, agree that the eyes are distracting. You don't want to look, look, get caught up in those because you'll be creeped out a bit. But but I I do appreciate the attempt for experimentation to see if we could get there. But like some of those reviewers, I feel that, you know, certain audiences are totally turned off from what otherwise be a pretty decent film. If this one aspect completely turns you off to the fact where you can't even enjoy any of those other aspects, then that's when your animation is a problem. Yeah. What's funny is my dad, as I was watching it, he comes in and he first, like, he's pretty easily hypnotized by movies that just are on. And so he just kind of, like, he's walking through and he sees it, so he stops and he ends up watching. And then there comes a point in time where he, like, decides, I'm invested, I need to just sit down and watch it. And so <laughs> you imagine your dad just standing behind the couch. And at the very end, he's just like, yeah, I know this movie was old and everything, but man, that, that animation, just amazing just beautiful and I'm like oh okay dad <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to, you know, tell my opinions right now. I'll just go with it. Oh, great, Dad. Okay. Um, personally, I felt like this was the era of experimentation, and I think that that was kind of their selling point. More so than the story itself, they were really trying to capitalize on the fact that this is something new, next level. We're the first to do it. Kind of trying to be like a, almost a Toy Story-esque type of a, a reaction from the fans or the you know audiences. And honestly, like there were just certain things that just no that you you mentioned that they had done Incredibles and everything, and they had done a lot better as far as that. But they're really trying. They're even Incredibles was trying to be more of a caricature as opposed to live and an actual person. So I think this was probably one of the first times that they'd tried to be like realism in a film. And okay, you can give them props for that, but in the end, I don't feel like it. I feel like I would have been more entranced in the film if they would have like stuck with proven practices and not spent this much money on that much of a, an experimentation. I mean, there's two sides of the story. You can say, hey, if they hadn't experimented, we wouldn't have gotten as far, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, true, whatever. I didn't enjoy it as much. Honestly, like during the hot chocolate scene specifically, like all of the people dancing, they just looked like puppets to me, and they like like they weren't subject to the laws of gravity, like they weren't really on the ground. So it was just weird in scenes like that, even though that was like the scene that everybody tried to tried to you know capitalize on. Yeah, for the most part, not not a hater on the animation no. as I kind of expected to be. So I think that's good because I was actually watching the the Scrooge movie that came out Disney put out in 2009 and that also is motion capture and I felt that one was so completely distracting mm. where I had to turn it off while this one and I think it's because those are it's it's motion capture but then the car, the characters are kind of cartoony yeah you know and so there's just this real dissonance that did not work for me in that movie and this one since it tried to stay a little bit more just one or the other right where it's more realistic, I could handle it. I got used to it. It still mm -hmm. wasn't perfect, but good enough. Yeah. And I definitely, by the time The Adventures of Tintin came out, uh, I really liked that movie. I have no problem with the animation. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was seven years later. That one came out in 2011. So, you know, good for them for experimenting and being pioneers and uh, I, I don't think we've gotten another motion capture animated movie since Tintin, or have we? I don't think so. Not to my recollection. I mean, it's hard to see if these are, like, truly... When you just type in motion capture animated films, Polar Express, Beowulf 2007, Christmas Carol 2009, Tintin, which is 2011. I mean, it's listing Happy Feet as that, which I would not count that as motion capture. <laughs> Pretty sure those... Penguins were not dancing. <laughs> not like, sign me up for that show. I'm all in. I've been making money to see these penguins dance. Uh, right. I think the only stop or motion capture film that has come out since Tintin was Tarzan. Uh, and that's one that didn't really make a big splash here. That's the one with Kellen Lutz. Mm. But 2013. Um, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 18% rating. So oh, there you oh. go. But that's the kind of 
that motion capture realm so far. So it's interesting because I think during this early 2000 era, if you're looking like a lot of these films are between anywhere from 2000 to 2004 to 2013, if we're going to count that. So it was like a 10 year period where we're really not totally experimenting. It's not like every single film was like this, but there's Polar Express 2004, Beowulf 2007, Christmas Carol 2009, Adventures of Tintin 2011. It seems that at least every few years or so for quite for that decade, we were experimenting and we were trying. And I think, I don't know, we just, audiences just don't relate. And so there's been like a big pullback to either do kind of what the Jungle Book did, where it's it works better when you have your characters that are not humans, yeah, that are fully animated, and we have mobile who's like a live character who's a human in that totally uh, submerged in that environment that is completely digital. What about I guess Avatar? I guess Avatar. <laughs> I'm totally ignoring that. Yeah, sorry, right, that one doesn't okay. come up on my list. <laughs> Isn't there another Jungle Book movie coming out like next year, directed by Andy Serkis, which I assume will be motion capture animation? Hey his thing so yeah i guess we haven't completely moved apart from that it's they're just it hasn't taken over our animation and and world like i guess we imagined it would be i think if anything video games it it has taken over so much more in video games because there's a lot of cut scenes and a lot of scenes in animation in video games now that are very prominent motion capture it's big business for them anyway let's move on to music so the composers were Glenn Ballard and Alan Silvestri. And overall, I thought the music was pretty good. There's not too many songs. It's not like this tried to be a musical. So we got, you know, basically one or two songs that just the one that the children sing and then the one at the end, which I think was enough. Yeah. So what do you feel about the music and the songs in the film? Um, so they had Polar Express, which was sung by Tom Hanks. And then When Christmas Comes to Town... Those were the basic ones. Like everything else was, they're just, you know, in the background. As for the songs in the movie, original songs, I guess, they were fine. I don't really remember them. And I watched the movie less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> uh, so not a, a good sign. <laughs> but I was, I was impressed by how many, like, big Christmas carols they have. Like when they're in the North Pole, they're just like, constantly having the biggest Christmas carols and that must have been really expensive that I bet that was part of why the budget was so big yeah I wouldn't doubt that either um they had a lot of times in order to save on budget what films will do is they'll take these same songs but then they'll have somebody else sing them that so it's not as iconic um of a voice um but yeah they went all the way and just got the originals um it probably and the thing is like when they have to make these deals with each one of the publishers they have to make it song by song and then it's like how much do you think that this song has effect on the overall you know basically it's up to the publisher how much they charge to put each song in the film actually side story is my uncle is a music producer and he actually produced a a whole album of christmas songs with a bunch of kids and he created this couple about five or six years prior to the movie that came out and then he was like oh my gosh the music directors for this new movie called the polar express just contacted me and 
I'm on a short list for, you know, getting my, one of my songs and one of my versions on the, uh, on the actual soundtrack. And I'm like, Oh, what? It would have been so cool. And unfortunately they ended up going with somebody else or one of these others, you know, but yeah, I I always think of like, man, that would have been so great (laughs) to be like able to go to this movie. And I, I think that was one of the main reasons why I went, I made sure to go see this in theaters because I was like, all right, if, Bobby's song didn't make it in there. What songs did? So that was <laughs> something. I'll actually put a link to that album in the um, in the show notes. There's a really fun song of me singing I Saw Mommy Ki- uh, Kissing Santa Claus when I'm like seven. <laughs> nice. But yeah, as far as the music goes, the I, I liked the songs. I didn't think they were bad. But yeah, I, I have a an emotional thing of like, dang it. Why couldn't Bobby's song be on there? <laughs> so Chelsea is tainted. We can't listen to her opinion because really she's can't. just going to be a bitter Betty. The fact that her version did not get, get picked. <laughs> no, but so this, yeah. So I, I like that they have those big iconic numbers. It was, as I was hearing, I'm like, yes. Okay. I like this because when I think of, I don't know, I, either they're already famous some of these songs or the Christmas movie kind of makes them iconic. Well, I, for example, in home alone two and home alone, there are songs that are played in there that I completely associate with those films. Yes. So when I hear those on the, on the radio <laughs> during Christmas time, I'm like, ah, yeah. So I like that they had a good mix of new songs that were just in the background and weren't necessarily a full on musical number, but they were just ambiance you know, while we were up at the North Pole, but then I did, you know, hot chocolate. I, you, you forget about it, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember it now. Oh, yeah. It's it's a silly song. Um, nothing gonna, you know, write home about, but it's a, it's a funky little silly song. And then there's the, the little duet that the boy and girl sing. And then there's, I think the most iconic one from this film that has made an impact is the song Believe by Josh Groban. And that plays in the credits. And that one I still hear to this day, and it is specifically from this this film. So yeah. sometimes you create a Christmas film, it becomes a somewhat classic, and it has a song that is going to perpetuate forever. Once and again, right? Like I'm telling you guys, if you're an artist, you within first probably even before you record your first album, you got to get started on your Christmas album because that, if it works out well, is just perpetual money time and time again, especially, so you, this is my, if I were an artist, this is you, that's what you got to do, right? Okay. You tell me, tell me what album. I need to do, Morgan. What do you need to do? <laughs> you got to put some classics on there that people will relate to. You can't do a Christmas album of all new songs. Right. It's not going to work. You no. can pepper it. You have to pepper in new songs throughout and hope that those are going to be hits. Because if you strike gold with a new Christmas song, then, because I think Kelly Clarkson has a song, Grown Up Christmas Wish. Uh, the biggest one is All I Want for Christmas is You right. by Mariah Carey. And I read that that gets her probably around $350,000 a year just from oh. being played at Christmas alone. So I don't doubt guys, it. it's big business to get a unique Christmas hit, but to do that, you gotta, you gotta just mix it in. And with her also, I mean, people then, you know, uh, that's a, a song that's so popular now and iconic that it's now covered. So even better for the writers of that, 
But yeah, so Chelsea, you need to definitely get some classics, okay. but you got to work on your your original material and hope that that becomes the new standard because Michael Bublé has done this. You know, Michael Bublé is basically the prince of Christmas, speaking yeah, of the Christmas. I would say yeah. that. <laughs> I saw a meme that was basically, uh, this, it was right after Thanksgiving. He's like, this is the time of year when Michael Bublé crawls out of his cave, signaling <laughs> of the Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> ringing in the bells yeah he i mean he has made quite a little i, I feel like half the songs on the radio are michael lay songs because he's just taken over he's the new christmas yeah. guy but anyway this is not related to the polar express at all i'm sorry we haven't even talked about the darn movie it's <laughs> amazing and talk about the movie maybe because we won't actually have that much to talk about <laughs> i'm sure with the three of us we're gonna have lots but well, I did want to say one more thing. My my own, you know, selfish plug is that I am uh, posting every weekday during the month of December. I am going live and doing a Christmas song or a um, some type of a family oriented song, you know, going off of what Pablo was saying, Christmas and family. And so join me live on Facebook and YouTube. Chelsea plug, Chelsea plug. Yay. <laughs> All right, let's get to the main the main meat of this discussion. All right, so this movie opens up like he's like I'm I'm in my room. I'm without the cover the covers are not moving. I'm waiting to hear a sound. So basically they're opening it up saying, you know, he wants to believe. He wants to hear it, but at the same time it's it's throwing in there he's got a lot of doubt. So it's geared at those kids who are maybe in the like 8 to 10 years old range. I would say. Am I right? Right. You, you mean the movie? Yeah, the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's actually interesting that it kind of starts with this debunking Christmas or, or Santa from the very beginning, which I'm like, oh, if I had young children who believed, would I take them to this? Because then it starts putting those seeds of doubt in their head because the, the whole premise is that he's around that age where he's starting not to believe anymore. He used to be a big believer but not so much anymore. And he's really starting to pick up on the clues. So he's kind of hit that interesting age, which we all hit at certain points in time where we start putting the pieces together. And so this adventure that he goes on is really going to make or break. And he's not, he doesn't believe up until like the very, almost the very end. I mean, he still can't even see Santa and he's there. It's interesting, the, the premise and the concept. So I definitely would show this to I don't know. I mean, maybe younger kids just don't get it. Maybe they just be like, yeah, he exists. What are you talking about next? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy kid. <laughs> then you start, yeah. then you start getting ideas and thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's that, that age range when you, like you start from that Santa is in Rio and you're just like, you start doubting. So, I think it makes sense, but it also could be counterproductive. And maybe kids that believed fully went to see the movie and were like, oh. Right, right. So how did you guys find out Santa wasn't real? I mean, Israel. I mean. <laughs> I mean, crap. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, For me, I had, I think I was kind of already picking up on it, but I had a cousin who just straight out told me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I was I was starting to pick up on it too, and then I got a book one year, and inside the book was a bookmarker that I had made for my dad. So I guess he was reading the book that he gave to me, and he just left the bookmarker that I had made for him. So I was like, oh, 
This wasn't from Santa. This Dang was him. Oh, kind of sad. For me, I was I was actually probably younger than I would like to be, but at the same time, like it's kind of one of those. Um, it kind of taught me a lesson in of, of like self protection type thing. I was playing hide and go seek with my brother and maybe sister probably and in the house and so we we're like okay i've you count and i'll go hide all right so it was my turn to hide so i was going in and i'm like oh perfect place to hide i'll hide in mom's closet because there's so much crap in there i'll be able to hide under everything it'll be great no one will ever find me so i go in there and as i'm pushing things away i see this box that is it was a water baby and i wanted this water like the, if you guys know what a water baby was, it's like, it looks and feels like a real baby. Basically, it's like a, a, a rubber like body that you fill up with water, and then it's got a, the plastic head. And, but it was like the thing that I wanted at that age. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, a water baby. And then I see my brother behind me like, Chelsea, like basically you weren't supposed to go hiding or whatever. And apparently he told my mom, and then I knew that he told my mom. And then when Christmas came, I did not get the water baby. And oh, I was no. like, <laughs> it taught me this lesson of self-preservation of just like, okay, do not let them think that you know that this is not a thing because then you don't get any presents. See, <laughs> wow. See, if I were your mom, I would have just wrapped that up as a present from mom. Yeah. And not had it be, I don't know how you guys do Christmas, but we always had Santa gifts and then like the parent gifts. So right. like when at the very end, like in movies, when you see people, the kids just wake up and literally open every present under the tree. Uh-uh-uh. That yeah. was not allowed. Those were the family gifts that were wrapped under the tree. Santa would not wrap his gifts. He would just lay your stocking on a part of the couch. Yes. And your stocking had your name. And so, you know, your stocking would be full and then all of your Santa gifts would be all around, which is great because you don't have to clean up. So right, you're exactly. already going to have to do that later. So then there were three distinct zones or four, I guess, where it was each person's stuff and then you just played with your toys. And then later in the day, we would open up the family gifts. Right. But that, everyone does it different. Oh, yeah, that's exactly how we do it too. But apparently that <laughs> it was a, a time to teach me a lesson. I don't know. <laughs> it was like <laughs> this traumatizing thing that it's like, I never got this water baby. <laughs> now, don't be buying me water babies. I do not want Guys, nor need. Absolutely. Show notes and Amazon gift <laughs> on her wish list. Please. Oh, oh my gosh. Buy Pablo oh. one too, just because. <laughs> Hey. No, please do not. Please do not. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is with our house, we also have my sister Marissa who has Down syndrome. And there was, she's older than me, but at the same time, like we didn't know exactly what point in time that she believed or didn't believe. And even today we don't like bring it up. And so she doesn't really acknowledge that Santa is not, real or is real like it's it's weird it, it is an uncanny valley of like uh, I'm not sure <laughs> what mm. is this so that was the other thing is like 
I just know that when she stopped believing in the Easter Bunny, the Easter Bunny just stopped coming. And I was like, no, it's over. <laughs> I was like yeah, 18. I would like, I would like to, I, I would like to point out that even when my sister is six years older than me, even when I, I knew that uh, Santa wasn't real, or actually, fun fact, in Colombia, it's baby Jesus that brings you gifts. Oh, nice. Not Santa, so. Nice, nice. Uh, when when I learned that maybe Jesus wasn't real, I still stayed quiet. And then my sister and I got presents for a couple more years. Nice. <laughs> good, good thinking. Once again, this yeah. goes back to the self-preservation. So learn the lesson from myself. You'll never get the water baby if you tell them that you don't believe in Santa, okay? <laughs> All right. So back we go. Back. <laughs> right. Uh, right okay so <laughs> the train comes so this is the iconic polar express and he well, has never heard of it before but it's iconic to us right so he right. just pulls up and he's kind of unsure and trains are just really cool in general so i kind of like this concept of this big train that takes you up to the north pole oh they're very romantic not sure exactly why but they are it's actually on my bucket list to take the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which takes seven days to cross Russia. Amazing. Not exactly you sure You want why. to do it for the whole excursion? Or? I would, yeah. Nice. Because right. like, it's like one of those things. Like, Who can say that they took the Trans-Siberian Railroad all the way? Yeah. I would love to go on a long train ride and just read Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> So we have this conductor, and that's when we're introduced to Tom Hanks's character. This is the the person that we're most familiar with, other than the boy. So this is interesting because we don't necessarily have names for anyone. Um, Billy was named, but no one else really has a name. It's our our main character is named Hero Boy. So. There you go. It's Hero Boy. And then, you know, we have the conductor. Other characters that he meets along the way are the know-it-all kid who, that guy's voice, I totally know it from somewhere. Oh, it's from he, um, Sean Claire. Oh, it's Sean Claire. Yes, okay. I thought it it's was. It's not Sean Claire, but it's the. It's like the birds. Yeah. Then there's Hero Girl, who's the girl. Uh, Lonely Boy. Billy. I believe Billy. Yes. And then other random folks like everyone's just named boy or head elf or singer elf or little boy so they did not do a great job in helping us really understand who these characters were but that's how it goes in the book it's just we don't need to know their names just people yeah so hero boy he gets on uh, initially he's not so sure about it but he hops on so he's on the train and i feel like this movie is a series of two big events happening other than meeting Santa at the very end. It's runaway train mm -hmm. or ticket flying in the wind. I hated game. both of those so, sections. Like multiple, multiple times. I'm sitting here thinking, can we get another plot point, please? And if it's not runaway train, it's the variation of runaway, tra runaway train, which is roller coaster-esque ride right. where they're on something and it's just like action adventure. And I'm not quite sure why they felt they had to put so many of these scenes in and well maybe it's because the original book is a storybook and very short so they needed to pad it with lots of action adventure and instead of doing it with real plot it's let's just fill time with the ticket floating around in the wind for three minutes and there we go or they're gonna have a runway train 
for the next five to 10 minutes because, hey, filler. I was waiting because it, the Adventures of Tintin have that famous like long take where Spielberg moves the camera for like three minutes and it's just like Tintin going down the entire city and it's just insane. So I was like, oh, I wonder if this movie, because Robert Zemeckis also is like used to be direct live action. I wonder if he's going to have like a crazy scene where he moves the camera a lot and doesn't cut. And then for some reason, the hero boy is like chasing them with the girl's ticket. But like, why? They're just going to come back in like, and then it comes back. And I was just like, this was literally pointless. comes back to the same place where it was more or less. <laughs> within a this few feet. It's just very, like, very, uh, very pointless, and I do not enjoy this. Yeah, it's just adding unnecessary stress for the kid. Unnecessary and, stress and a reason for the kid to go out on top of the train. Mm-hmm. Or to go out in the front of the train, or just to, like, see the just train. Just explore different parts of the train so we're not in the cabin yeah. the whole time. Right. Yeah, because that would be boring. <laughs> yeah. I sat here until we arrived. Okay. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> which spoiler alert if you go on one of these polar express excursions do not be expecting some uh crazy harry potter journey ride or anything crazy because it's just yep. sitting in your chair <laughs> yep. yeah here's my question is why didn't they ever invite the lonely kid up to the front of the car yes that was very strange so like this kid peers right he's their very last person that they pick up and he just clearly there's not room for him even though there is there's plenty of seats in that main room where all the children are right but he sits in the other one way over there and they just kind of leave him but hey hey we remember you we'll give you some hot chocolate but other than that like hey kid like talk about social segregation (laughs) (laughs) just because he's poor what well uh, yeah i don't know because the conductor was really basically well the conductor doesn't put him there um the conductor I imagine, would have put him in the right place. He just kind of hops on, and that's where he goes, right? Yeah. See, the Billy the Lonely Kid, he was a very interesting person to me. Like, for example, like, the whole time I'm thinking, okay, he's... Do you guys... Have you ever... Um, do you guys know who Malcolm Gladwell is? Yes. He, he wrote The yes. Tipping Point. He wrote you know, outliers and a whole bunch of other things. He's got a podcast that I was very interested in. I started listening to, and he, he was talking about how one reason that like the poor stay poor and rich are stay rich in general is that their children are taught to, they're taught different things. So we as parents end up teaching our children in different ways. And one of the differences was that the rich ones are taught as children to expect things to work out. And then also how to talk to adults and take initiative for the things they want slash need in life. So the example he gave was the parent is taking the the child to the doctor. And then the the parent says prior to going to the doctor, okay, you're going to go in there and you're going to tell him what you are feeling. You're going to tell him what kind of questions do you want to ask him? What are different things that you would like to know? Let's, let's kind of practice this before you go and you talk to this adult so that you don't feel like you are less than. It really teaches a kid to as opposed to being a bystander in their own life while their parent, you know, takes charge and does everything for them. Like they're the ones that are asking the questions. They are the ones who are really taking that initiative. And then also the other thing is like, 
He's got such like this scarcity mentality throughout the whole thing that he's just like, Christmas never works out for me. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, kid. <laughs> like, like there's so many different things that I'm like psychoanalyzing this character uh, based on the fact that he was from the other side of the tracks, quote unquote, and all these different things. And then his, like the lesson that he learns is like to lean on people, to trust people, basically to count on um, like, yeah, it was just like, I was very, the a majority of any point in time when they had the camera on him, I was thinking about those things. Like what happened to this kid? End story. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I just, I just, I didn't really go into it too much. I just assumed that he, you know, had a, a tougher upbringing compared to the, compared to the one kid that we're talking to. Yeah, hero kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was a weird movie for me with weird characters. Uh, I think it's a problem I have with adaptations, where it's like a book that, for example, this book clearly isn't, like it's not a novel, so there's not enough material for a feature film, so you have to add a lot of filler. Right. But you also have to have all the characters, so there's these like random person who lives on like the roof of the of the of the train you best um, start believing like, in ghost stories because you're in one <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like that added such a weird aspect to this it doesn't add anything to the story just stops it for like 10 minutes because it's the only way that they can get the movie up to 90 yeah to release it in theater <laughs> so it's just it's just a weird model like i think it's better when they do what how to train your dragon did where they just take like the concept and then they just create a completely original story right yeah that's that was a problem with this because they didn't want to deviate from any of the main plot points and so we're left with this this film that's just really a lot of fluff and it's just it's a journey from you know your home to the north pole on a train to meet santa and they really just had to had it out in order to make it a feature length film. And I think they could have just done some really cool things. You know, the original author was an a, executive producer, I believe. And, you know, so was involved and that's good, but at the same time bad because a lot of times authors are very, very, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, a lot of times authors are, yeah, a lot of times authors are very, very territorial and, just like mama bear, papa bear over their work and they don't want to see it changed. You know, that's why some authors just will never sell their, their work for and the film rights because they just don't want to see it and because they know that it's going to get changed. But then when you have your author, not only, you know, if you sell the rights, then it's kind of like, okay, now do what you want with it, but mm -hmm. try to stay true to it, please. It's my baby. But when they're involved in the production, it kind of limits it a little bit, I imagine. So if I were to redo this, I would just introduce new plot points and and maybe make the characters a little more fleshed out or give them some something because there's there was what was the conflict here? Getting to the North Pole and meeting Santa? Hey, end of the day, yeah. I mean end of the day it I was does he believe? Right. Yeah, but I think the what Morgan says is right because 
the point is like does he believe but during the entire run of the movie there's not really conflict so they have to manufacture conflict so mm -hmm. it's like oh no there's a bunch of animals on the tracks oh no there's rail like roller coaster track <laughs> and it's just like what is happening <laughs> yeah the conflict that comes up doesn't relate to the main issue except at the yeah. very very end when he's confronted with santa right and the and the ringing bell but any of the conflict along the way doesn't help it's neither here nor there it mm -hmm. neither builds it nor takes away from it for the most part it's just distraction so yeah I, there let's see there's the tickets numerous tickets floating around different times the train goes askew or goes crazy i mean what is happening with the train going through the ice <laughs> the frozen yeah. lake and and then the just the way that this train is set up with its crazy roller coaster ride and and then we have those two characters like the conductor's pretty normal but then we have the two engineers who are just they're they're much more cartoony and goofish and just really really dopey to me and you know they were a distraction as well so yeah no he yeah. those i'm like the second rate crew that you have working for you what are you doing <laughs> right <laughs> who hired you like talent oh. is very is very sketchy up at the north pole <laughs> well and so yeah and, and the situation when the all the caribou cross the path it's like well we, we're gonna be here for hours i'm like you can just go a few miles an hour or even faster and they'll get out of the way right and you can continue yeah. on you know like, you've got a cow catcher it. use it <laughs> right exactly that's why they're there <laughs> oh i felt like there was one point in time where they're going through this like crazy tunnel well that's like when they get to they actually get to the north pole and the train the car disconnects and they're going through and now they're on all of these like tunnels in the in the workshop and i'm like this feels like the crazy tunnel in the willy wonka's chocolate factory i'm really like <laughs> creeped out oh <laughs> uh, this is this is a problem i have with this movie and also it reminds me of the good dinosaur which is like what we were saying there's no conflict related to the kid's story so it's just like a series of episodic scenes that happened without any connection it's like well now you're chatting with t-rexes now okay. you're being chased by a dinosaur now the train is doing this now that you lose the ticket and it's just like this isn't helping the overall story the character isn't learning anything from these scenes they're just happening mm -hmm. exactly yeah when the same plot devices are being repeated over and over just as I keep mentioning them on this podcast over and over, it gets tiresome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to try not to mention it again. But it, yeah, it just it did not work as well for me. So we get to the North Pole, okay? So push that all aside. We're here at the North Pole. Now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Something's happening. This is a change of pace. We have a new environment. There's these elves that we finally get to see. And I just love that they're all marching to this the big sleigh. And some of them are doing somersaults and cartwheels. And there's just a mass of elves, just thousands of them. What do you guys think of the North Pole when we got there? I always end up thinking about, like, 
you know, in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, he's like, I want to be a dentist. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, it doesn't seem like any of these guys are anything but workshop elves. Maybe I'm, you know, it is a big Jesse, compound, so, you know. This but. film had no time, clearly, to talk about the other <laughs> occupations of the elves, because that was not in the original story, so we are not going to talk about We're it. We're not going to talk about that. No, um, what did I think about it? I thought visually it looks cool. I mean, you just had lots of people around. Now maybe the elves do other things, like for 11 months out of the year, and then just December, they, they're all toy makers. Mm. Um, Wow. Santa's the dictator that says, nope, now you work for me. <laughs> hey, I like it. We're hopefully going to work. Uh, so, yeah, then there's another runaway train scene because, of course, Yay. they get stuck on the train and it's going backwards and then it's just going through the town. And I'm sitting here thinking, why are we having this? At this point, we've probably seen this two or three times before with, you know, train going at high speed, escaping, uh, probably more than that. And I'm just, it's it's really getting old. Like, again, it's same old, but just different place. It, everything is trying to prevent these guys from getting there. Yet somehow they get there with five minutes to spare. And that never-ending five minutes, you know, until Santa arrives, is quite a long time. But I'm just feeling like there could have been something else than the train running away. And I don't know if the movie was called the Polar Express. They really wanted to highlight, you know, let's be on the train the majority of the time of the film just to kind of really hit that home. But uh, the Polar Express, yes, that's the name of the book. And that's but that's not the the end goal. It's a way to get you to something cool and life changing. Right. Right. But again, we're back on the train. Right. Which will not be the last time we're on the train. No, it won't. Um, I think at this point in time is when they bring in the element of, do you hear the bells? See, did they not have that at the beginning? It's like, listen for them. Like he, I think they slightly had that, like, listen for Santa's bells. And he can't hear yeah. it. Uh, and the only thing he does hear is the, the little bell on the dad's hat. And so then they yeah. bring that back. Can you hear it? And isn't that the most beautiful sound ever? And it, they're making it very obvious where they have these big, you know, chains of bells that are connecting the reindeer together and they're beautiful and they're whipping them. So you're imagining to that you're going to hear this sound, but none of us hear it. And, and they even, you know, the audience doesn't hear it and Hero Boy doesn't hear it, but then other, and I guess you might not pay attention to it because there's a lot else going on as far as noise wise, but the uh, it's called out like wow isn't that the most beautiful sound ever and then he's he's recognizing like oh crap i'm not i don't hear it i don't hear it yeah and then we have that whole sequence where he's surrounded by elves in the north pole and he somehow doesn't believe in santa <laughs> yeah like you've been on you've been on this whole adventure you're surrounded by elves and you just went out of this whole present whole thing yeah, the whole factory, which we'll just skip by that, but that's another crazy adventure time. <laughs> right. <laughs> the super yeah. fun happy slide. Um, yeah, I'm thinking, if, if you don't believe in Santa by now, I think nothing's going to help you. Right, right. You truly are a skeptic, and you've moved on, and you're just not seeing what's in front of you. If you're in a 50-feet-high bag of presents, <laughs> surrounded by elves, 
there's reindeer in front of you and you don't believe in Santa yet, like, just give up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or whisper to the bell and then it will happen. Yeah, go. that's the big moment. It's like he wants to believe and it's just like, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then he can hear it. And did somebody say believe? <laughs> <laughs> so we get to see Santa, Tom Hanks. Okay, at the very, he comes up and he's like, whoa you know like i said before like full of of reverb on his voice like well we're trying to make this as magical as possible um and instead of hiring a guy who could actually do the voice we right. have to keep the, the gimmick <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm just i joke around just because it's like ah, oh, you gotta throw in some type of a joke in there right, right. but <laughs> it's like yeah as a kid you, you do get into this and you feel like okay it's magic. Just just believe it. It's magic. It's how it is. Okay. That's the world is that it's magic. And when he gets to that point and he's just like talking to the kid and hero boy and he's like, well, now you know and I'm so glad you know type thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't, you should have they hired you. They really should have done that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know I just I thought it was fine the ending like yeah okay you get even though I don't think that even Santa had like the real clincher line of the whole thing I think the line didn't come until the conductor was like it doesn't really matter where the train goes it's whether you decide to get on and I'd like to say I actually do think it matters where the train is going it's called opportunity cost. <laughs> if this train is going somewhere where I don't, in the end, want to go, why am I going to get on? <laughs> like, just for the, you know, sake of getting on? No. You got to know what's going on in your life. Anyway. <laughs> also, um, it highlights another kind of problem that I had, which is that if what matters is getting on, he got on, like, five minutes into the movie. So, like, I, I thought that as, like, the kid wanting to believe, so I don't see why he has doubt the rest of the movie. I guess because he needs 90 minutes. Right. But he gets on the train, so he chooses to, like, believe in the whole thing, and then apparently that's not enough. I don't know. It just doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. So we go back, and he goes home, and he's very disappointed because he loses the bell. Like, that darn pocket... And the guy's like, well, that's a tough break. Like the nerdy kid. <laughs> that sucks to be you. Way to go. Um, but then it's Christmas morning. They're opening up all the gifts. Literally all the gifts have been opened. Except for one. He opens it up. And it's the bell. And it rings. And, and the parents walk down. And they're like, oh, well, it's broken. Well, that sucks. It's just a bell anyway. <laughs> It's not like I bought it, you know. Right, right. They're like, I don't know who this is from, but sure, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who'd give you a broken bell? Can someone explain to me how it works that Santa is real, but the adults don't believe in him? Like, they see the bell, there's random presents under the tree every year, and... Yeah, either the parents are oblivious to the new presents that have arrived. Like, that's Santa's magic. Like, parents are just going to do what they're going to do, but he's going to provide presents. They're just, they're just not going to believe it. They're not going to see it, right? Right. 
Or right. Santa says, hey, okay, you're going to now take over my job. Cool. So I will not stop by your house anymore oh. because you have this covered. Although it doesn't make sense when little kids would still believe. So maybe it's the other way around where it's just like you can't hear it. You can't. He- you can either hear the bell or you can't hear the bell. You can either see the presence or not see the presence. Huh. I don't know. All in all, I am glad that I was able to see this movie. I feel that this is a now at this point in time, 17 years later, a Christmas classic. And it's one of the staples that people will watch or will be played and aired. And it's uh, especially the book is very much classic. And so I was really excited to see this and to see what all the hullabaloo is about, see the motion capture in action, see the songs in action and everything. And ultimately, it was just very flat and thin. There wasn't a lot going on here. And I think that's mostly due to the source material and them not really wanting to branch out in meaningful ways. I feel like they did branch out and they padded the film with a lot of fluff and extra and action and railroad adventures, which really meant nothing at the end of the day and were just filler. So I thought that was unfortunate because there would have been other ways to do that without repeating the same gimmicks and, you know, ticket blowing away runaway train 40 different times yeah <laughs> and, and really it's more or less like variations of the same sometimes it was just yeah so that was very frustrating and not my favorite although there were elements that I liked of the movie and I think that's because it comes back to the book I like the element of the silver bell and just this adventure to meet Santa Claus and and the conflict of do you believe in Santa and this was really a pivotal moment in this child's life I liked that, and I really think they could have done a lot more to build on that throughout the film instead of just like, I don't believe, but hey, let's hop on, see how this goes. Blah, 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 lots of craziness. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, we picked that back up at the very end with I Can't Hear the Bell, and off we go. So, yeah, for this, those reasons, I'm going to give the film three stars. It wasn't terribly bad. Like, I didn't just hate my life as I was watching it, although there were moments where I'm rolling my eyes thinking, again, again, yes, again. Uh, but at the same time, it was not the greatest movie in the world. So that is what I have. Do you want to read it? So yeah, I, as I mentioned, I had never seen the movie. Uh, I think it was good to have seen it. Like It is becoming a classic. Uh, I didn't really enjoy it much. It was, it was repetitive and kind of flat. But it has its nice moments. And I was thinking there's not a lot of really good animated Christmas movies. Yeah, they're, I mean, I feel like they're more expensive, so they're harder to pin down. Yeah, so ultimately, I think I would give it two stars, which I think is the first time that I haven't loved a movie that I've done in the podcast, because the previous ones were in The Incredibles, Up and Moana. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> you can only do so well. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm going to give it two stars. I wasn't the biggest fan. I had a lot of problems connecting with it. But it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I guess I'm right in the middle. Um, I give it two and a half stars for the same reasons that you guys stated. Um, I had problems with the, with the storyline. I had problems with the filler. And I felt like there was a lot of good things as far as like, the essence of the book I've always liked. I remember reading the book as a kid. And so the, the idea of believing, the idea of what do we believe in and having faith in our life, uh, faith in something bigger than what's already there. So I, I, 
like those things. But in general, as a story, I just don't feel like it, it really captivated me. And honestly, if I'm going to be, if I'm really being honest, the only reason I feel like this is being played every year is because it is so few animated films that are Christmas and deal in the, do you believe, just believe. And, you know, Josh Groban has a great song. So yeah, those are my thoughts. If you would like to let us know what you guys thought about this movie, go ahead and go to rotoscopers.com slash 162 and you'll be able to get in on all the comment action on there. We go back in and we make comments with everybody else in there as well. So uh, we are in there for at least a couple days after the, the episode posts. So definitely head on over there and make your opinions known. We do have a voicemail. Merry Christmas, Rotoscopers. This is Danny here with my thoughts on The Polar Express. I recently revisited this film, and I think for the most part, it's still a solid movie. Major positives include Tom Hanks being as wonderful as ever and playing several roles, the scenery still being absolutely gorgeous, and the film's message about faith and belief, especially how they handle it through the main child and his internal struggle. All this said, it does have some noticeable flaws. At times, it does feel like there's a lot of filler. The child characters do look sort of artificial. The know-it-all kid is clearly voiced by an adult, which is kind of jarring. And I still don't know why that one elf was a Jewish stereotype. But in the end, I think my earlier praises are enough to say that this movie is good and people should check it out at least once. Oh yeah, and I almost forgot that Josh Groban song at the end is amazing too. Anyway, Merry Christmas, guys. I hope it's a great one. We find it all again on Christmas Day. Believe in what your heart is saying. Hear the melody that's playing. All right, guys. Once again, thank you for coming to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers today. Pablo, you've been a, a wonderful guest host. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Uh, I always have so much fun with you. So let's hope the next one is soon. Yeah, for sure. If you want to find us, you can go to rotoscopers.com and get all of that information. If you want to tweet about this episode, make sure to use the hashtag AnimAddicts or AnimAddicts162 about this specific episode. And then also, if you want to give us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you. We love voicemails. It's probably our favorite thing to be able to not only hear your thoughts, but also get to know you guys, the listeners, because we really have created a bit of a community with this. Um, on our Instagram, I do different things. So for example, I do a, a live roto trivia and I invite different people who happen to be on Instagram to be a part of that and join with me. And it's just been so much fun. Like I've been meeting all of these people, you know, face to face, getting to see and talk to everybody who've been fans for years and, or even fans for like a week. So it's been a lot of fun. Make sure to join in on that community on all of our sources. You can go to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're all right there. And then also, um, as far as voicemails, if you want to leave your voicemail, go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. You can also call in the United States 406 646 6575. 
it, it is super easy to do. Um, then you get your opinion on a podcast, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you were you mental. were on the last episode. I laughed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I love Coco. I can call and leave my opinion." I was so glad you did. It made me really happy, and I wanted to let you know that the very last song on that podcast, I used the Spanish version as opposed to the English version because you called in and left your opinion. <laughs> Amazing. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> also, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you want to find us individually, basically on on most locations, you can find Morgan as Morgan Straddling on Twitter, Instagram. Myself, you can find me at Chelsea Robson on Twitter, my website, Instagram. If you want to find my YouTube, also Chelsea Robson. Facebook is the only one that is slightly different because apparently I was too late to get the full thing. So it is, this is Chelsea Robson. <laughs> and then Pablo, where do we find you? I'm Pablo RV7 on Twitter. I'm also that on Instagram, but I never use it. So you can follow me. You'll just get bored. But Twitter <laughs> is where you can find me and talk to me if you want. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been a really fun episode. Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Hey, I'm Pablo. I'm awesome. <laughs> well, I can say that. You don't have to say that, but I can say that. <laughs> yeah. I'm Pablo, and I am awesome. And I am awesome. Hey, I heard you're engaged. Well, I, I saw yes, you're I engaged. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited, too. How, how do you know her? Uh, we met through a mutual best friend a couple of years ago. And now we live together. We're getting married in March. It's all very exciting. Oh, yay. It's like a Hallmark movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Side note, tangent, as far as Coco goes, how, as a Colombian, did you like that movie? I mean, you guys don't celebrate Day of the Dead, correct? We don't. But it was still super exciting to just see latino characters like that's not very common right and like there was so much of the music that was in spanish and just random dialogue and it was just so exciting to see a major movie that had that like i remember when Zootopia came out and shakira was in it uh shakira is colombian and that was so exciting to me i love shakira too (laughs) like i remember in the theater like when she was singing i started to tear up because i was like hey there's a colombian in a major disney movie so maybe it's not that crazy that i'm dreaming of like eventually writing one of course not Uh, so it was super exciting to see coco and it was just such a good movie like regardless of of race or language it was just an amazing movie it was i loved it i i mean i'm from the u.s i'm very gringa i do not celebrate (laughs) (laughs) day of the dead but it it was just so accessible and everyone i know just loved it so yay for them and then the know-it-all kid who guys okay hold on we're jumping into there's a there's a kid who okay, dies? So, what? <laughs> what I, version did you watch? Sorry, guys. Okay, so. It says it's from, like, Mr. C or whatever, and I'm just, I couldn't help but think of Harley Quinn being like, Mr. C. <laughs> it doesn't sound as good as, like, Mr. J. Yeah. Mr. C. <laughs> That's anyway.
weird that Santa calls himself Mr. C, but there yeah. you go. Yeah, eh, I mean, call yourself whatever you want. <laughs>